Before I begin though, who, who likes to know what's going on in the world? Who knows that the C3 movement is actually bigger than C3 Nord? I don't know whether you know that, but there are other C3 churches, not just in Adelaide, not just in Australia, but around the world. And uh, I just want to give you an update on how they're going. And as I can't remember all of that, I've made a quick video for you to have a look at.
So, as you can see, there are lots of things happening all around the world, and we're constantly welcoming new people into the C3 movement. We're welcoming new churches, new campuses, uh, new buildings, and uh, guess what? One day, there'll be a whole list of things from Adelaide and from Norwood that will be on there. So, I am reckon next year. Um, so, let's, let's aim for that. Of course, the downside of that is, unfortunately, as well as welcoming people into our churches, sometimes we actually have to say goodbye to people. And uh, this morning, I want us to actually pray for a, a couple who's been involved in our church, has done great things, has been a great support and a help in our church, but have been seduced by Melbourne, I believe. So can I get uh, Megan and Hakey to come out here? Can I get uh, perhaps uh, their Connect Group leaders to come out with us as well? And uh, I want you to join with us. We want to pray, not that um, sort of they have a terrible time in Melbourne, but they actually go there to do something to transform the city. Perhaps I can get you all to stand and pray with us. Because um, these guys have been faithful servants in this church, and we know that wherever they go, they're going to be uh, a blessing to whoever they're with. So, Lord, right now we pray for, for Hakey and for Megan. We thank you, Lord, that their transition from Adelaide to Melbourne is a smooth one. We thank you, Lord, that their job prospects over there give them satisfaction, joy, and uh, a good income as well. And we thank you, God, that they find a place to worship there where they can go and they can be a blessing to that church. We thank you, Lord, that as they've been a blessing here, that they take that spirit and they take it into the next church they go to and that they are a blessing in that church. We ask, Lord, that you pour your Holy Spirit out upon them. We thank you, Lord, that you fill their hearts, not just with pleasure, not just with earthly joy, but with a heavenly spirit that is actually going to take them to places that they wouldn't believe, that's actually going to have them ministering in areas that they wouldn't yet dream of, but that your power through them can do amazing things in this earth. So we farewell them with sadness, but we thank you, Lord, that you have a place for them that is going to be filled with joy for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Hey, see you guys. Now, if I have to stand to preach, I think you can all stand as well. No, you, you may be seated. I love what Brendan said earlier. What's it all about then? Because we've been talking about grace. We've been talking about the law. And all of these things are, are important. But why are they important? Who, who are we to have them important to us? And so I have some, some good news that here in Galatians, between, at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, Paul has reached the pinnacle of what he's trying to tell us. This is, his, this is his, his mountaintop. This is where he's been coming to. He's been dragging us up this mountain, talking to us about grace and the law and false teaching and the gospel message and all of these things. And he comes to the top and he says, why is this important? And do you know why it's important? Because of who we are. Who are we? We are children of God. And the thing is that it sounds trite. You know, if I say that I'm a child of my parents, everybody goes, duh, of course you are. 
You know, Peter and Anne are my parents and they, they begat me. I hate to think of what happened with, in that process because you know what it's like with your parents. Um, but the height of the gospel message is encapsulated by this guy called Sinclair Ferguson. And he quoted this. He said, The notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex or the pinnacle of creation and the goal of redemption. That sounds important. And the thing is that if we want to understand what a Christian is, if we want to understand why being a Christian is a privilege, and it is a privilege, then we need to appreciate the whole idea of divine adoption. Because who knows, we're, we're adopted into the kingdom of God. And so, let me take you through God's reasoning here. We know that Jesus was the promised one. It shows us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, and I'm reading here for the, from the English Standard Version for a reason. It says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. Now the offspring here is, of course, Jesus. The offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and was put in place by angels, through angels by an intermediary. You see, the promises were made to Jesus. So he gets all of Abraham's promised blessings. And if that's the case, anyone who belongs to Christ through faith automatically becomes an heir to the promises of Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promises to Abraham belong to you. Anybody excited yet? Mightily. So how does this inheritance come to us? Through the Son, Jesus Christ, we become God's children legally. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the right time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So the Bible tells us we, we have been legally adopted by God. We've received a new status. And in doing that, God introduced us to his Holy Spirit so that we could become his children by experience as well. And if we go further in verse 6, it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So it's laid out. The adoption process is set by Jesus, put legally in place by God, and we are given an experience of that relationship by God's Holy Spirit. So the heart of our Christian life can be summed up in Galatians 3.26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What are the two important words there? Through faith. Repeat those after me. Through faith. Right. So it's not just because we're born. It's not just because we exist. The original text states, you are all sons of God. We are already sons. It's not something we're aiming for. It's not a future attainment. It's something we have in our present state. But this sonship is not a universal given. 
We're not sons of God or children of God in some general way just because he created us. There is a sense, of course, in which all humans are God's offspring because we're made in his image. Acts 17.29 says, For in him we live and move and exist. And Paul's talking to the Greeks here, talking about their poets. He says, As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol. So there is a, a, a sense in which we're all children of God because we are created by God. But Paul's speaking of a much deeper kind of relationship here. The sonship comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We are only his sons when we have faith in the Son. And it's through that faith that God adopts us. Now if you preach that message in today's world, the first thing you run up against is the fact that people object to the fact that you use the word son to mean everybody. Because who knows, we live in an age of gender equality and that word son is gender specific. And so most translations you look at will use the word children. And that is correct. We do need to make sure that we are gender neutral when we talk about these things. But we've got to be a bit careful sometimes because when we look at Bible translations and we say, well, okay, in our current culture, we should be putting this word, sometimes we can actually lose something very important in the meaning. Because what Paul's saying is actually in his time, not only revolutionary, but really dangerous. Because what he's saying is that every single person who has faith in Jesus Christ, men, women, children, slaves, employees, employers, everybody, every single person, regardless of race, gender, occupation, height, weight, how many toes they have, all of those things don't matter. They have become sons of God. And the word sons is important because when Paul uttered those words, the word son didn't just mean male child. The word son translated to legal heir. So if you called a woman a son of God, that was giving her legal status that she did not have in that culture and that society. And so what we think of in today's society is just a normal thing. Yeah, we're children of God because we're all equal. What, he, what Paul was saying to at least half the population is that forget what your culture is telling you. Jesus Christ recognizes you as a son, a legal heir to the promises of Abraham. Now that would have ticked off a lot of men back then and would have frightened a lot of women because of the implications in that, that they could rise up beyond what they considered their station was. It was actually a revolutionary thought, a revolutionary statement to be called a son of God was to lift people up into a, a, an area of equality and freedom that they had not seen in their culture. And we often look at Christianity and a lot of people would accuse it of being somewhat misogynistic. Here's a word, do you want to look that one up? Um, basically, a lot of people would say it was against women. But here we can see Jesus in particular, and he, here we say Paul, who's often been accused because he never got married either, that he, you know, some people say he hated women. But here he's stating that, that the gospel itself raises people up to an equality and a freedom in Christ that is unparalleled in any culture in the world. And so 
don't, don't get me wrong, we shouldn't go back to calling everybody sons. But we also need to make sure that when we read it here, we understand that when Paul says, you are a son of God, he's actually saying you are a legal heir to the promises of Abraham, no matter what your gender or anything else about you. Because of only one thing, through faith in Jesus Christ. So let, let's, let's not get too caught up about it. What he says is, if you read a, a translation that says sons instead of children, look, read there and say legal heir. doesn't matter what my gender is, it means I'm a legal heir. We are all heirs in Christ. So how does faith in Christ mean that we are treated as God's children or sons? So verse tw- 27 tells us this. It says, in, and this is Galatians 3.27, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. <coughs> Who likes to wear clothes? Who likes other people to wear clothes? I mean, have you ever ha- heard that thing, if you're public speaking and you're nervous, you imagine everybody naked? And that makes it a lot funnier. But that only works as long as you don't imagine yourself naked. Because that can be quite scary. I mean, you think... It would be fun if everybody, if everybody in the room's clothes dropped off, as long as it didn't happen to you. The thing is that everybody in the room is thinking the same thing. Um, but clothes are important. Clothes define us in lots of different ways. And here, the Apostle Paul actually relate, likens Christ himself to a garment. So, if he's doing that, my understanding is that clothes were pretty important back then. I don't think... We would consider them the height of fashion. The robes and sandals are a bit passe in today's society. But the idea of clothing ourselves in Christ actually opens up some amazing ideas about how we should live and how we should see ourselves as children of God. So I'm going to give you four points. And I want you to think about these four points quite hard. Because I think... You know, these, these analogies, these way of l- ways of looking at Jesus actually tend to define how, what is important in our spirit about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the first thing our clothing does, if we're clothed in Christ, it gives us our primary identity in Christ. Our clothing tells people who we are. Nearly every kind of clothing is actually a uniform, showing that we are identified with others of the same gender, the same social class or the same national group. You can tell where people are from by what they're wearing. Now, sometimes that's a bit harder today because we live in a global society. But to say that Christ is our clothing is to say that our ultimate identity is found not in any of the classifications that we have, but in Christ himself. So often when we, when we come to Christ, we, it's because we have an understanding because a lot of people have identity crises. We're not sure who we are, you know, Brendan again was talking about what's it all mean, the meaning of life. And to come to Christ, often it's a question of, ah, that's, who, that's, that's my identity. You know, it's not me that lives in Christ, it's Christ that lives in me. And so some people, that is, that is the thing that binds their relationship. They have come to a sudden understanding that they, there isn't an identity crisis. They were created to be who they are and they were created to be in Christ Jesus. The second thing it does is it speaks of the closeness of our relationship to Jesus. It is harder to get much closer than your underwear. 
And some people, that's, that's the intimacy they see with Jesus Christ. They're closer to you than any other possession. You rely on your clothes from, for shelter. They go everywhere with you, most places. So to say that Christ is our clothing is to call us to a moment-by-moment dependence and awareness of Christ around us. Who knows that when you're wearing your clothes, you, you don't tend to think about it. You know, you've been wearing them for a while, they're comfortable, sort of, but what if they're vanished suddenly? You'd be immediately aware that something was not right. Sort of like, oh, there's a breeze, don't know where it's coming from, but I know where it's going. <laughs> and it's the same with, with if we can understand the closeness of our relationship, it becomes comfortable. You know, it's really odd that I work in my office all day, some days, in and out of the house, and sometimes it might be an hour or two, and we, we haven't actually spoken. And we're not actually mad with each other. It just happens that way. And I'll look up from my work, and immediately I know whether she's in the house or not. Because although we might not have communicated intimately in the last hour or two, there's a, there's a, there's a presence in the air that I, I can sense. And I can look up and think, no, she's not here. Because I know when, she, when it's missing. And it's the same with our relationship, that we're clothed in Christ. And often that relationship and that relationship should become so comfortable that in some ways we're not aware of it. But the instant it's gone, we need to be able to recognize that. Because we are, we are to spiritually practice His presence. Here's a thought for you. You've got to practice being in, the re- in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The third thing that it does for us in Christ, we need to, we need to do a, a mental shift like, what would Jesus do? Here, I'm dressed as, as If I'm not going to be a fake, if I'm not wearing a fake Jesus moustache and beard, I've got to be the real deal. I've got to be the real Christ. So we've got to think, you know, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus act? If I, we need to take Jesus into every area of our life and find out how that would change what we're doing right now. We're to put on his virtues and his actions. It's, it's dress up like Jesus, not to be fake, but so that we can actually understand how we are supposed to act if we were in Jesus' clothes. So it's the imitation of Jesus. And the fourth one is our acceptability to God. Clothing, I don't know whether you've noticed, but clothing isn't just to cover the naughty bits. Clothing is actually an adornment. We wear really silly pieces of clothing a lot of the time. I mean, look at Brendan's shirt. He's got a pocket here that's a different colour than the normal material with a button. And, and so do I. Yeah. And how many times have you used that pocket? Yeah, same here. Why are they on here? They look good, yeah, whoa. But what point is that? I mean, people go, Brendan's trendy because he's got a pocket. (laughs) But pockets are for putting things in. And we've never put anything in these pockets. They're just... So, clothing is an adornment, right? We wear it because it looks good on us. You know, I like to wear dark colours because dark colours hide things. They're slimming. My legs are really, really muscly, actually, but you can't see in these, so a waste God's been providing clothes for us since the Garden of Eden 
To say that Christ is our clothing is to say that in God's sight, we are loved because of Jesus' work and his salvation. When God looks at us, he sees us as his sons and daughters because he sees his son. Jesus has given us his righteous... I'll start that again. Jesus has given us his righteousness and his perfection to wear. So, if we look at that, we understand that Galatians 3.27 is a daring and comprehensive picture of how our life should be lived if we are clothed in Christ. It means to think of Christ constantly, to have his spirit, to have his character infuse and permeate. Sounds like a cup of tea, doesn't it? But it needs to get into us. Who remembers that, that chalk? It does get in. What, what was it for? It's just ink. Colgate. Yeah, she used the ink and a, and a chalk. And she put the chalk in the ink and then broke the chalk open. You could see that the ink had, had actually permeated the chalk. And that's how we should be. We should be immersed in Jesus Christ so that it's permeating everything we do and think. The things that we say should come out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, if we're talking to people, and if, if, somebody, if I went up and smacked Brendan up the side of the head, his first reaction would probably be to really, be really ticked off with me and he would like, I imagine, to slap me up the side of the head in retaliation. Although he <laughs> but would he have to think about turning the other cheek first? It's sort of like we'd sit there and go... Oh, I'm going to hang on now. What does Jesus tell? Oh, yeah, okay, turn the other. If I do that, he's going to hit it again. Perhaps I'll just keep still. Um, all these thoughts. But if we, if we wear the clothing of Christ, when that happens, it becomes automatic. If people hit me, insult me, torment me, I'm just going to turn the other cheek. I'm not. The f- what, if, what if his first reaction was to, to reach out and say, Bless you, I forgive you? I mean, if he was going to be insulting, he'd say, he'd say you do not know what you do. But I think that's probably t- pushing the edge a bit there. <laughs> Forgive him, Father, yeah. I would think of that as sort of posturing somewhat. But it goes beyond the keeping of rules and regulations. Christianity, being a Christian, being a son or a daughter of God, is not about finding the regulations and the rules and keeping them. It's about wearing Jesus Christ. We can't ever receive anything additional that makes our commitment greater from the law. It's about our relationship. We need to be clothed with Christ. And I want you to to think, what do you associate with most strongly? Is it the fact that your primary identity is in Jesus Christ? That you have come to know yourself because of your relationship? Is it the fact that you enjoy the closeness and the intimacy with Jesus? It's a relationship unlike any other you've had in your life. It filled a gap in your relationship worldview because you came to know Jesus. Is it the imitation of Christ? You found somebody in this world who is worth aligning yourself with and following and imitating. Because we all imitate people, but we often discover that they're not worth imitating. You may have discovered that, hey, I've found Jesus and he is the person who I want to be like. The other thing is that do you find that it's your acceptance by God that drives you? When you found Jesus, you suddenly found, wow, this is my place. I've found somebody who accepts me totally without condemnation because that's what I've been looking for. 
Now, can you remember those? I want you to, when, when I get to the one that's you, I want you, want you to hold that. Is it your identity in Christ? Is it the closeness of your relationship with Christ? Is it the imitation? Is it finding someone to follow? Or is it your acceptability? Now, just an experiment. I want you all to close your eyes. And if, if it's your primary identity that you think is the thing that draws you to Jesus, I want you just to lift your hand while no one's looking around. Okay, if it's the closeness of your relationship, you lift your hand. If it's your, the imitation of Christ, or your acceptability to God, None of the above, put your hands up. <laughs> it's good to think about these things and work out what it is that brings us close to Christ. Can I get you all to stand right now? Drop your iPads to the floor. <laughs> and I want to I invite you out onto the altar in four lines. No, actually, I won't do that. If you put your hand up for any one of those four, I just want you to come out here on the altar. If you're not sure about which one you fit into, it doesn't matter. Come out anyway. This isn't about boxing people or categorizing people. But one thing I've discovered is that we often fight this desire. We often are ashamed of the fact that we want to imitate God. The world makes us ashamed that we imitate God. We're not sure how to handle a close relationship with Jesus. I mean, just the fact that we're accepted by God sounds a bit of a wussy thing. You know, I accepted Jesus because finally I felt accepted. Sounds a bit weak. But that's how I found Jesus. I found an acceptance. And sometimes I think we actually have to grasp what draws us to Christ and get it to draw us closer. Because it's not, not about staying where we are. What I preached this morning was not about getting you to understand where, where the box that Jesus has you in. It's actually your point of contact. It's your strongest. And, and I'm not saying that just because you chose one, the other three don't count either because I think there's a, there's a measure of each of those in all of our lives. But if we're going to press in, if our relationship with Jesus is going to get stronger, if we're going to have more of an impact in this world through our faith, because we are sons of the Most High God, then we've got to use that contact point to press in. So I want everybody here on the altar just to raise one hand to heaven. And we're going to pray an asking prayer this morning we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen that point of contact whether you, you consider it sort of like an umbilical cord or whether it's a ray of light shining on you or however your, your mind thinks of these I want you to start imagining that that is becoming stronger thicker, fuller, brighter that you are getting things from God that you've never heard or seen before that that connection is stronger and stronger, that enables, that is empowering you. You are filling that light of God, that, 
energy, that passion, that identity, whatever it is that God is pouring into you, that is getting stronger right now. That is filling you. From the soles of your feet, it's rising through your body and overflowing out of the top of your head. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is filling these people through that point of contact, whichever one we have chosen, Lord. You are pouring your Spirit through that. You are revealing an incredible future for every single person here. You are bringing strength, comfort, guidance, and a hope. A hope for the future every single person who stands here because they are a child of God through faith in your son Jesus Christ Amen Okay I might actually keep you here as most of you are here and say that to be a son or daughter of God is through faith in Christ And if you don't yet have faith in Christ, then that's the first step you have to take to become a child of God. And if I I can just get everybody standing here just to close their eyes for a second. If you're standing out here or if you're standing out in the congregation and you've never taken a step to say to God, I have faith in your son Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a step to become a Christ follower, to call myself a Christian to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Saviour, then I want to give you that opportunity to do that right now. All Jesus asks of us when we do that is to state out loud, to state in public, to say, I am going to follow you, Lord. I am going to put away my old life and start a new one through my faith in you. If you've never done that and you want to do that this morning, can you stick your hand up really nice and high so that I can see it through the the forest of people and I'd love to pray that prayer with you is there anybody here at all who wants to do that give us a wave so I can see it if, if, if it's you you may have done it before but you've been in church and you've walked away from that faith and you want to re-establish that God says anytime you can pray that prayer you can come back to me if that's you this morning God wants to see you back as a child of God. and We can pray that same prayer. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to come back to a relationship with God? Thank you. I see that hand. Hey, let's open our eyes. Let's pray. Can I get you to come to the, come to the front, Jared? Come on. Come on. There are no secrets here. Come on, let's all pray together. Repeat after me. Mighty God, I come into your arms through faith in your son Jesus to be called afresh a child of God. I put away my old life and clothe myself in Christ Jesus. Amen.